mic check. You're here. I'm here. I'm just uh, giving it the full minute here, waiting for people to show up. Oh, we're not on the air now? We are. We are live, Jim. So oh. no embarrassing hot mic moments from you. I, I was about to really go on. <laughs> no, please do, Jim. Tell us all what's on your mind. No, no. We'll wait for the article. Well, we've got the full minute under our belt here, so I guess we can go ahead and, and get going. Um, for those who are here, perhaps you already know who we are, but for those listening to the recording later, uh, this is Kassaz Twitter Spaces, live, uh, unfiltered. And um, if you don't know much about Kassa, I encourage you to check out our website. That's Kassa.org, C-A-S-A-A.org. We are the Consumer Advocates for Smoke-Free Alternatives Association. And tonight we have an all-board member panel, um, Matt Cully, Jim McDonald, Logan Evans, and our illustrious board president, Danielle Jones. Uh, and we are gathered together here tonight to talk about um, bodily autonomy. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear the, 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 the roar of applause. <clears throat> um, and so I, I, I don't know if, if it's uh, best for me to kick this off or not, but um, I, I will confess, I actually had to do a little bit of Googling and reading and all of that beforehand because for the most part, because of my situation, um, I, I sort of take bodily autonomy for granted. And I can't say I've ever really been challenged that hard to think about it. Um, so perhaps it's best for me to pass the mic. Well, um, it's a human right, for, I guess, first and foremost. Um, bodily autonomy for for people who are curious is really, um, you know, the sovereignty over your own body, uh, in regards to, um, sexuality, reproductive rights, um, drug use, um, all of those things pertaining your own personal being, uh, as long as those choices, those freedoms do not affect, uh, the autonomy of others in negative ways. Um, and I guess that's kind of the the broad definition, really, of bodily autonomy. It's also referred to as personal autonomy. Um, it is covered in some senses, in some sense, uh, in the Constitution in regards to personal privacy and ownership. Um, I forget which amendment that is, but um, although it is not stated uh, explicitly in the Constitution in any way. Um, it's been interpreted uh, as such through a number of cases, one of those cases being um, Roe v. Wade. Um, and and um, there's another one here. Uh, Griswold versus Connecticut, I believe, was another defining moment for personal autonomy. Uh, so yeah, even though it's not laid out in the Constitution, um, you know, verbatim, um, the right to bodily autonomy is there. Um, and also, um, I, yeah, I guess... a lot, let me just jump in real quick, just on, on your point, Logan, a lot of it, a lot of it stems from the 14th Amendment. And it was written originally, be, because, you know, we for the slaves, because they had their bo bodily autonomy stripped away, they were they had forced pregnancies, yeah. forced marriages, exactly so on and so forth. And so that's why that amendment was written to be so broad uh, and cover a lot of different, uh, you know, sub uh, uh, categories of bodily autonomy. Yeah, thank you. Once we get past the first 10, I get the numbers real bad. I mix them all up real bad. That's just my, my squirrel brain. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's the, that's, that is where it is. Um, covered it's you know it's a human right it's an inalienable right um in regards to drug use um i don't you know it's not necessarily stated anywhere but if people are curious about um you know human rights and drug policy there are international guidelines on human rights and drug policy 
uh, and these were, um, you know, agreed upon, written, uh, and set forth uh, by the International Center on Human Rights and Drug Policy, the United Nations Human Rights Office of the High Commissioner, uh, the World Health Organization, UNDP, um, and so really they talk about the foundational human rights principles of human dignity, the human Universal human dignity is a fundamental principle of human rights, uh, is uh, from the inherent dignity of the human person that our rights derive. No drug law policy or practice. I'm literally reading from this. There's just a few key points. and I'm going to share this as well in our Twitter thread for people to read through. Um, no drug law policy or practice should have the effect of undermining or violating the dignity of any person, group, or persons, uh, which that is um, undermined regularly every day around the world. Um, a person's involvement in drug-related criminality after the, uh, affects the enjoyment of some rights and specifically engages in others. All persons have the right to equality and freedom from discrimination. This means that all are equal before the law and are entitled to equal protection and benefit from the law, including the enjoyment of all human rights without discrimination on a range of grounds, such as health status, which includes drug dependence. That right is violated regularly around the world. Um, well, that's where it gets interesting is with drugs, because while we've seen a lot of, you know, major Supreme Court cases on other things, I want to say people have challenged it before saying that that drugs are, should be, you know, part of bodily autonomy. But there isn't any landmark cases to point to. Um, well, but, it's, I mean, it makes it's more of the case good. of, you know, we we don't often. And, and in some countries, it is uh, illegal to even have drugs in your system, you know, without um, without any additional criminal activity or whatever uh, being lumped in there. Um, but for the most part, we, you know, we um, we criminalize uh, the possession, we criminalize the sale, the manufacture, and we kind of dance around it and we use those laws um you know, in conjunction with each other to essentially violate those human rights of people. So just to just to jump in here and, and maybe do a little devil's advocate here, um, you know, with in, in particular with, with drugs, um, you know, I think, you know, one of the, the principles or one of the things that you talked about at the, the beginning and sort of setting up the definition of bodily autonomy is, you know, it's 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 the idea that you have the control over your own body, what you put into it, the activities you do, as long as it isn't harming another person. And so where, where, when we start talking about drugs, it seems that, you know, first of all, we've identified the wrong boogeyman here. Like, you know, society justifies all of the punishment and, and taking away people's bodily autonomy, you know, related to drugs because, the drugs themselves are injuring society. They're, you know, they're addicting the children. They're, they're making people poor and stupid and all of these things. So, um, and, and we've seen that, of course, that same strategy used on tobacco. This was how, this is why we have indoor and outdoor place bans and, and all of the you know, stigma heaped upon people who smoke. Um, it, it's not so much, you know, making that choice to smoke a cigarette or use any tobacco product in the eyes of society is not your choice anymore because everyone believes that it's harming the people around you. Um, so I, I, I guess I, I throw that out there as sort of the devil's advocate, but, and I, I know the answers to, to most of this stuff. And I think I already kind of answered my own question. I'm well, like, a horrible, you know, like, where's, you get the gist of it. Where's the line at, you know, of, of harming others. You know, I could say that if I eat, 5,000 calories of food a day and I get really fat, I'm going to harm my, the people I'm around because I'm going to be, uh, you know, uh, dying earlier and be, uh, uh, obviously less healthy. So it's like, where's, where's the line drawn at as far as affecting others, you know? Can I jump or, in for a second and do a little more devil's advocacy? Um, devil's <laughs> advocacy. <laughs> The term bodily autonomy or personal autonomy is nowhere in the Constitution. So anytime it's been applied, and we've named a few of them here, it, it's an interpretation by the justices of existing uh, constitutional writing. Um, so the 14th Amendment doesn't talk about autonomy. It says that the state can't deprive any person of life, liberty, or property 
without due process. And the Ninth Amendment says all rights that are not enumerated in the Constitution belong to the people. But all of these things have to be have to be made concrete with law for them to have an effect. And when so, Logan, when you say it's a human right, that's that's just your opinion, man. Because I mean, there is no universal human right that's recognized by every state and every government. No, no. Uh, which is what, you know, guidelines by these international organizations set out to do um, with hundreds of countries around the world signing out. Obviously, um, around the world, there are going to be outlying countries that, that don't agree with this or, or what have you. Um, well, in the case we're, we're talking the- about, a you know, a consensus. More In the than case I, of the World Health Organization, they don't even agree with their own statement. So, well, see, like, while you're right, Jim, it is vague. Um, I think, you know, we, we've had plenty of, of Supreme Court rulings based on the essence of the law. Even the so called originalists will still, you know, rule based on the essence of the law and back those laws up if they're ones they like. They, yeah. they, tend, to, they tend to only be originalists when it's a you know, a law they don't like that they want to get rid of. Well, but, a- uh, but like that, if I think that common sense can take you there, though, to bodily autonomy with the way that the 14th is written. And like you had mentioned, the ninth, like if we're if they are going to say that the 14th, for example, it, it's not, you know, obviously not only Roe v. Wade, but also contraception was once illegal in many states. And uh, they they use the 14th to say that, per, you know, everyone has the right to use uh, contraception. And so that, that was it's for, not that, that it's not that far away for, to get to from there. It's not that far away to get to the drug issue. OK, so let's before before we get to the drug issue, let's look at what's happening now where they're about to reverse Roe and say that the 14th Amendment doesn't apply, which could also lead to reversing Griswold which is, um, yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what's scary. It could lead to, to reversing uh, gay marriage even. Uh, or there's, interracial there's, marriage. Yeah. Yeah. There's All a lot of based on the same vague 14th amendment stuff. So, um, you know, I, I agree. That's the slippery slope, you know, we're looking forward to like to drugs being protected under bodily autonomy when in fact we could be losing all the existing stuff that is. And I think Jim makes a good point too, that the problem with this issue is interpretation, right? That it's not codified anywhere. So we see, you know, it embraced in certain ways, the concept of bodily autonomy. If you consider, you know, Uh, in the medical field, for example, organ donation, right? Like you have to, there are so many ethical and strict guidelines around that, that you can't be paid or you can't be coerced and it has to be voluntary, right? Your wishes after death, for example, have the full, you know, legal weight of um, the entire, you know, United States in terms of what you want, refusing medical care, uh, do not resuscitate orders, like all of these very staunchly support the concept of bodily autonomy. But then you also get into areas where it gets more gray or it's left up to interpretation. And we know that from things like what Alex talked about, smoking, vaping, you know, drug use, all of these different things. And so this is where we find ourselves, right? Because it's left up to interpretation, it depends on largely what who's in power uh, to sort of you know, say yes or no to these things. And I think that's sort of the crux of what we're getting at with this conversation. Correct. And the other, the other side of the um, bodily autonomy part of the uh, equation is whether the state has an interest in preventing you from doing something that you think falls under bodily autonomy. So, and that's where, as Alex said, that's how they justify smoking bans. Well, you're hurting other people, so you don't have that right anymore. So, um, and how, how many, you know, how many of those, um, you know, laws have been put into place on, you know, based on poor science or poor, 
evidence or a lack thereof or that is point. you know, it's you know simple simple opinions you know in the subject of smoking particularly when we're talking about autonomy uh and, and it negatively affecting other people which it, you know it can after decades of you know living in the same house or, or in close proximity to somebody heavily smoking or something like that that's your evidence shows you know Logan, my, I'm not arguing for those laws. I'm saying that's how people justify taking away your bodily autonomy. Sure. They sure. say the state has an abiding interest in preventing that. Because... I mean, yeah, it's, it's the centuries-old debate of weighing the, the importance of the community versus the importance, importance of the individual. Sure. And, that's, you know, and that, that's why we even saw, we've seen various different political ideologies form around that because people differ so much. Obviously, libertarians are way far to the, to the, uh, the person and then communists are completely opposite to the community. So, you know, trying to balance those two is, is always a chore and figuring out where those invisible lines should be drawn. It is interesting in, in regards to, you know, the harming of other people and the way that some some folks see this and then argue for it or against it. And, you know, one of the things that comes to mind for me is um, people who, uh, you know, are pro uh, drug war in regards to saying things like, you know, we we need to clean up the streets. There are needles everywhere. There's paraphernalia. You know, this is my my child could pick up a needle and. Uh, you know, contract Hep C or something like this, uh, but then also turn around and they are not in favor of safe injection sites or needle exchange programs, which would, you know, greatly solve or greatly reduce uh, those exact same things. And so there is, you know, when we get into these different sides and people's opinions, I think this is where where public education is is the most necessary and, uh, and, you know, engaging with communities and kind of setting those, um, those myths or those ideas, um, straight. Well, well, yeah. And I think another interesting question to ask people and, and something even i I think about with myself sometimes is like, would we be more, not just us in this group of society in general, would we be more okay with the war on drugs if it actually had worked? You know what I'm saying? We 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 tend to be, you know, a, a, one of the big arguments is the war on drugs has not worked. In fact, it's made everything worse. And but then, you know, if we're if it's all about bodily autonomy, regardless of whether the war on drugs helped society or not, we should be against it because they're still, you know, dictating uh, policy or about what we do with our own bodies. I think that much of the most successful argument against uh, the drug war is not bodily autonomy at all, but the fact that they created a, a, a carceral crisis. Agreed. And, and you're right. It's the, it's yeah. Everything that came from it. I mean, the, it, the drug problems are, are, you know, there's the overdose problems have, are worse than they've ever been. The, there's mass incarceration, there's crime that comes from it. But if none of those things existed, then I'd, sure we'd see a big portion of people even those that consider themselves uh libertarian types that you know they would be pro-drug war because we we tend to kind of our our opinions and our our ideology can be fluid depending on you know what we see with our own two eyes i guess like if something seemed like it worked and it was a benefit then you're willing to kind of bend your 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 ideology uh, for it I think everybody thinks that they're taking positions based on what they see with their own two eyes, when in reality, almost everybody is absorbing facts through the filter of the news media, which tends to um, support the general political consensus. So... I agree. My my only point is is that these bodily autonomy issues tend to not be as controversial if it's something that like people think was a net good. You know, yeah. like we're willing to give up rights when we think it's a net benefit for society or for ourselves. I mean, I think it'd be a benefit to everybody who's thinking about this stuff to look at all the issues of bodily autonomy and ask themselves 
do I really support bodily autonomy because I don't support this or this makes me uncomfortable or because there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different things that fall under that rubric, bodily autonomy, that, um, you know, I, I don't know how many people we'd find that are really, truly libertarians. I'm not a libertarian, by the way, but I am socially libertarian. I don't think I, I you know, I support the free use of, of, of drugs and you know, doing with your own body as you please. Um, but I think you make a good point, Jim, because, you know, obviously our community, right, is primarily the vaping community and the tobacco harm reduction community. And I think people within this community are very, you know, it is a, a no-brain question to say that we have the right to vape, right? We have the right to tobacco harm reduction, to reduce risk products, you know, we have the right to consume nicotine and we have the right to do it in the safest way possible. Right. There's right. no, you know, everybody in this group, in this chat, listening to this probably agrees with that. All the members of CASA. But when we talk about the larger issue of bodily autonomy, when we start applying that same principle in other areas, I think you're right. That's the test, right? Like, do you really understand what bodily autonomy and what freedom of choice is? And can you say that you approve of it or support it in all regards. I can give a personal example, you know, if you guys are, are interested, the concept of vaccine mandates, right? That's been a hot button topic lately. I am somebody who very staunchly supports bodily autonomy. And for me, depending on how you define mandate, because that's a key, you know, point in this argument, um, you know, my body, my choice means everything, for the most part, right? With the caveat that it doesn't hurt other people. So that gets dicey because would I support somebody who absolutely does not want to be injected with a substance? Would I support forcing them to have that done, even though it would be probably better for society, right? That's a question. And so you for would me- have to, You would have to uh, essentially, like at that point, you're talking about any and all vaccines as well. You're talking about flu shots. You're talking about all of that. Right, um, exactly. And that because, is a much you know, larger issue. Well, wait because a then you, nope, then you nope, have nope. to get into the, you know, the transmission of, of anything that there is a vaccine for, if it can be you know, transferred from human to human. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, because so when you go down that road, you can't just keep that road focused on, on COVID, you know. No, well, I, I agree with that, exactly. Because I think most of us in society has not really had a problem in the past, up until recently, with, and I say majority, that's not everybody, but majority is okay getting, you know, having their kid get the measles vaccine so that they can attend kindergarten or what have you, right? Like that hasn't been a huge wedge issue in the past. But more recently now, it has been an issue. There are people that do not want to get the COVID vaccine. And so if you bring it back to bodily autonomy, what's the right answer here? Okay, so first of all, vaccine, um, and especially with children, has been an issue for a long time. There have always been anti-vaxxers. Yeah, there's always been anti-vaxxers uh, in regards to whether or not. Uh, I mean, there there's a community think, right, but they haven't been the majority. That's been a vocal minority. There's still yeah. a majority. So there's still a minority, even with well, well, I I think that again, I think that people will throw out their ideology when like society is reactionary. So. For example, you have a lot of people that, that were probably pretty libertarian on social issues that then were for a vax mandate because, you know, you, usually you're willing to, like, go against your ideology when there's fear or, like, a near and present danger. That, 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 that's what we see. Doesn't, I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm just saying I think that's, that's why it, these issues start to become really gray. And uh, I have a hard time just coercing anybody into like putting any kind of shot into their body. I, I know that like, you know, there's a difference between a mandate where like the government's just forcing everybody to do it or like you're going to go to prison if not. Like um, in 
Yeah, there's a difference between that and telling him, hey, you know, if you want to go to school or if you want to work this job, you got to you got to get the vaccine. But it is still coercion. So it's such a tough one. So here's the thing with that coercion. Is it the government doing it or is it a private interest? So if um, an airline tells me I can't fly without a vaccine, I have no argument yeah, I think that that's different. I definitely think it's different when it's private, because uh, then, then you're you're talking about their their rights as a company, and you know if they 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 have a certain set of rights, I guess as and well. And yeah, we've got people like Ron DeSantis, who is supposed to be the small government <laughs> conservative. Isn't it illegal is- for private businesses to deny? Um, you know, uh, employment based on health statuses and, and, and such like that. So wouldn't that be illegal to deny someone? No, I, I think there are exceptions to that. Like it's you illegal could deny, deny them based on... Um, like if they're pregnant or like, you know, right. they have some kind of like medical disease or something. They have HIV or something like that. Something but, transmissible um, through the air or through... Yeah. But the so Ron DeSantis went a step further than saying um, businesses uh, don't have to force you to wear a mask to come in. He said they're not allowed to. Yeah, that's where the populism of the right has kind of, is kind of peaking its head up. They're a little that's bit true. less on you know with the conservative stuff lately, and I'm we're seeing that locally where I'm at too, where. You have this group of people, and on one hand, they're freaking out right now at the school system because they want to have more of a say in what is being taught at the schools. But then on the other hand, they're lobbying these library trustees, which are government-appointed trustees, to ban books from the library. They want the government to ban books, (laughs) you know, and it's like, so you want the free, you you know, you want, you want to have the freedom of choice when it comes to the schools, but you don't want people to have the freedom of choice when it comes to our libraries. It's just, it's, it's weird. And, and, but you know what, the, the left is, is hypocritical on this issue as well, where they, they prop up uh, autonomy when it, when it comes to some issues and and freedom and Liberty, but then on others, they're not so good. good Uh, Everybody's bad. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say everybody is bad. The right is very, uh, you know, freedom, freedom, freedom until it's not the freedom that they believe in. And, um, right. you know, the, the left can be very, very autonomy until it comes to, you know, well, this drug is okay, but these drugs, these are still bad drugs. And, you know, this is okay, but... Yeah, the left has some of the old school progressive movement still built into them where it's the where the whole nanny state stuff comes from, you know, right. to, you know, try, trying to regulate soda sizes and, and bullshit like that, uh, like we saw in New York, like that's... That, that's where the left has their tendencies where they want to they want to basically uh, uh, save you from yourself. So this all goes back to Cicero, the Roman philosopher, who said the health of the people is the highest law. The idea that public health trumps everything. Yeah, and that's definitely kind of like a progressive movement sort of thing as well. And it started out, you know, as... You know, you know, with really good reasoning, you know, the FDA started with really good reasoning. People were dying from, from yeah. poisoned food, food and shit, but they, they go a little too far and uh, they, they just, you know, get bored and need to find more and more uh, new regulations for us. Mission creep. Yep. And I wanted to comment too on this. Uh, somebody mentioned, you know, freedom, 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 right? Like that's a very American thing that we, you know, chant freedom and talk about freedom and we're the freest country in the world. And, you know, both sides tend to do that, right? But I think that when people talk about supporting freedom and like America's core principles being freedom, I think that too often what they really mean is that they want to preserve the choice that they want to make because they think that others will or should make the same choices they do, right? But in actuality, that's a perversion of what freedom really means. Because preserving freedom means protecting people's right to choose, even and especially if that's not the same choice that you would make, right? I would say that being on the side of freedom requires you to actually, you know, not only fight for what you think is right, but also for what you don't agree with. 
because the point is giving people that choice, right? You don't have to vape to support the rights of people who do. You don't have to use drugs to support the rights of people who do. You don't have to get an abortion to support the rights of people who do, but it doesn't require you, you know, supporting freedom doesn't require you to personally agree with everybody's choices or endorse them or even make those choices yourselves. The only requirement is that you support their ability to do that, you know? Absolutely. And I even get sort of like, I I get get a little, it makes me feel weird when I start seeing a lot of these lefties that are now wanting to ban hate speech. Well, I obviously hate hate speech as well. I mean, it's kind of like, it's just, it's this slippery slope where we want to, ban things that we dislike and you know some are worse than others obviously but i i think if you're gonna if you're gonna fight for the freedoms you got to fight for even those idiot racist freedoms as well right and i always get frustrated when people criticize organizations like the aclu for example for defending you know neo-nazi types but that is the fullest and purest form of supporting freedom right if you want to defend the first amendment you have to defend it for speech that you agree with and that you don't agree with because that's the entire point putting aside what you want and passionately defending you know the opposite side not because you believe that but because you don't like that's what freedom is and the beauty of the first amendment gives you the right to also uh you know defend your position or argue against those opinions, those, um, you know, statements from, you know, from the other side. So when you start challenging that, because you don't like what other people are saying, you're challenging your own right to your defense or your opinion or your statements. Right. And it's like, are you willing, are you willing to sacrifice those in order to, you know, stop this thing that you don't agree with? You know, and that goes that goes for all the topics we're discussing, you know. Uh, well, and the, unfor- the, the unfortunate thing throughout history is that, like, when you do start, even if it's for a noble cause originally, when you do start stripping certain freedoms, it usually the, the state can use that against you, you know, down the road. So, you know, like, if you start messing with the First Amendment because you don't like hate speech, I get it. I don't like hate speech either, but you know, that protects a lot more than hate speech and uh, it's an opening for, for tyranny later on. And I think that those same arguments tie in with bodily autonomy, right? Like you, you know, you may support it in this area, but not in this area. But the problem with not supporting it in, let's say abortion, let's say you don't, you oppose, you know, abortion, for example, or you, or you oppose, you know, drug use or legalizing or decriminalizing drugs that opens up, you know, this Pandora's box of, well, then, you know, there are people out there that are going to use the same argument against vaping, for example, or against something that you do do. So I think that people have to think a lot more carefully about, you know, their stances, because there's a lot more overlap than they realize. And I think I saw a quote on Twitter the other day, and I can't remember it verbatim, but it was something to the effect of like, you know, an authoritarian government, you know, you support what they're doing today, but I promise you tomorrow they won't support what you're doing. You know what I yeah, mean? And, like, yeah. And, and even if someone, let's say you're completely anti-abortion, even if that's so, you should still be uneasy about this recent uh, uh, ruling because it's a slippery slope because the 14th has protected a lot of common sense things. And if, if, you know, for the and they use the exact same reasoning in those cases as they used in in row. So, I mean, it's even if it, you just don't care about that that issue at all, you should still possibly concern that this could have some uh, some uh, domino effect. So, I'm going to play devil's advocate for the strict anti-abortion people here. Um, I'm not one. I support um, a woman's right to get an abortion if she chooses to. Um, However, if you truly believe that abortion is murder, bodily autonomy is not going to be an argument. Yeah, I I agree with that. If if that's, then it's like it, because then they say it's affecting another. So that's where the, 
that's yeah. where the, the murder, conversation mur- gets murder trumps bodily autonomy. So I, I don't I don't entirely think that people have to support a right to abortion in order to support a right to use the drug that they choose or any or all drugs or any drugs, including nicotine. I don't think the two things necessarily go together. There can be different rationales for supporting or opposing one or the other. But yeah, sure. I, I mean, just to just to bring it back to you know, as you said, you know, drugs or, or tobacco. I mean, uh, tobacco is like most things in this country, built on the backs of enslaved people, um, right. and instilled. You know, we have child labor issues around the world. If you're buying tobacco, you support you know child labor practices, bad child labor. Um, if you buy drugs, you're supporting murderous cartels. So certainly, um, you know, I mean, that is there's. I, I don't mean to trivialize it or, or draw some sort of weak parallel here, but just really as example of, you know, how how people can blow the issue up and come up with that justification to to say that what you're doing is murder. That's and there's truth to that. And that's why we and now I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to just step in really quick to say, like, if you buy drugs, you're supporting murderous cartels is not on the hand of the individual buying drugs that is on the face of the countries and around the world that have criminalized this and forced that into those criminal markets. That's, that's what I was going to say. Uh, because, because that is, I'm, I'm just going to flat out go right against that and say, that's just, that's, that is absolutely not on an individual in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, those, those cartels are in operation because of drug policy around the world. Not because, you know, to say me going down the street and buying an eighth of cocaine is, is supporting cartels in Colombia or something like that is absolutely absurd. You know, that would be that that's that is so, uh, just to pull a completely improbable example out of your head. Yeah, that, that's just what that's were we going to say, that. Danielle, before we get too far down the, the road? I was going to say that, you know, along the lines of what, you know, Logan was sort of saying about you know, the counter to that in terms of the, you know, abortion uh, argument, you know, if you believe that abortion is murder, right, let's say that we are a person that thinks that, I think we have to look at why you think that. And I would say, for the most part, I think the idea that abortion is murder stems from a largely spiritual or religious belief, right, that life begins at conception, that sort of ideal. Right. But if you understand that that is, in fact, a religious belief, that is not a religious belief that I hold, for example. And so, you know, saying that murder trumps, you know, bodily autonomy, well, your interpretation of it being murder is your perhaps religious belief and is not shared by me. So, again, that's another example of making it about something when that larger issue is highly dependent, you know, like Logan's example of the government making it, you know, illegal and therefore creating the cartels. Well, your religious beliefs are making that argument and not everyone believes that. Yeah, but religious beliefs are the are the foundation of lots of laws that we that we all share. But separation of church and state is a fundamental pillar of this country. That's not the same thing as using using a, a, a certain set of religious beliefs as a foundation for laws. It doesn't mean that you're um, that the government is supporting that religion. So I'm just telling you that it's not um, I'm not trying to make that argument. I'm just saying that if you believe that abortion is murder for whatever reason you believe it, you're unlikely to support bodily autonomy on that count. I do. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I would say if you believe that because of your religion, what's the difference why they believe it, they believe it. And so they fight for abortion to be declared murder. Right. But intent matters here, right? Like if you're fighting for something because it's your religion and you feel that you need to oppress everyone else who does not agree with your religion, really don't think anybody puts it in those terms. I mean, is aren't those the terms, though? That I believe in my religion and so I will oppress everybody else? Yeah, everyone uh, else needs to believe the same thing that I believe. Well, it's a matter of perspective, right? So, Correct. You know, I, I mean, I think all 
all uh, sects of, of Christianity uh, have some evangelical component to them, and it is to save the unwashed masses. And so what you or what someone on the receiving end might perceive as oppression, um, someone following their religious beliefs and doctrine will will think more in terms of liberation. Yeah, and that's, right. That's but it wasn't in, it wasn't until like six years after Roe v. Wade, the decision came through that the evangelicals and even Baptists started opposing it. I'm Historically, not even, they were neutral or supportive of it. I'm not even talking about organized religions and Roe v. Wade. I'm just saying that people who believe abortion is murder are going to think that murder trumps bodily autonomy because murder is against the law everywhere for everyone. Yes. Yeah, I mean, just to throw this in, just because I was raised in a very strict religion. Um, when, when you're raised that way, you don't think this is my opinion and everyone else has that their opinion. You think I know the truth and everyone else is misled or d- doesn't sure. know what the fuck they're thinking. Right. So you think so if you're you, these people absolutely 100 percent think about this issue in black and white, that it is murder and that that they were, need to stop it uh and stop everyone from doing it because it's you know they're, they're they're doing God's work. So it's like they they don't view it as they're oppressing others. You know, even though I understand that that's the effect, but they don't view it view it as they're oppressing others uh, with their own you know religious opinions. Sure, of course not. And Matt Myers doesn't believe that he's oppressing anyone. No, and that's exactly. And there's a lot of uh, religious kind of undertones to some of these health groups and 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 even the way that they 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 operate it's and you know you could even a lot of not to get too far off but like progressivism which i consider myself to be a progressive just so you know even though i'll diss on it like sometimes it 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 is in some ways its own sort of religion because a lot of progressives are are uh uh, are uh atheists and stuff anyway so a lot of a lot of this is just you know where we kind of teach my brain's getting fucked up here, but I'm, I'm basically trying to say like, we're all programmed to, uh, to think a certain way. Correct. Yeah. And tobacco control gets really, you know, puritanical, right? Like nobody should use this and we're, you know, protecting the children. I mean, a lot of these themes get a little repetitive, right? There's a really good, uh, really good comparison you could make between the, the tobacco control people children and the conservatives that are protecting unborn children in that neither of them care about the children once they become adults or once they become born. So people lose total interest in the children. Once they turn, uh, you know, majority age, they can go ahead and smoke or do whatever they want. They're filthy addict. And the, anti-abortion people don't really give a damn about children once they're born. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. I read a really interesting thing that talked about specifically related to the unborn, but it affects, you know, children as well. Right. When people sort of use that in defense of things that they want to do. I mean, it's so easy to, you know, defend the unborn or the children because they're so innocent. Right. But as soon as they are born or grow up, then they start making choices and then, you know, they're not always purely defensible, right? It's more difficult. They have flaws, they make mistakes, they do different things, but this, you know, perfect, you know, virgin idea of the unborn or the small child who's innocent, that's what people like to rally around because it's easy, right? And they always age out. So you're always recycled with new, you know, people or if you will, that you're defending. So it's kind of, it's, it's a shortcut. (laughs) Right. There's this other thing, I, I, and I promised that I would try to work this in here somehow. But um, you know, the, the idea that that saving the children is is the best possible course of action, uh, in a way, you know, maintaining that pure act, that purity, if you will, throughout the rest of, of someone's life. <clears throat> First of all, I, I, and I have to backtrack here, and this is going to be long. But one of the, my most memorable memorable conversations in a bar, which is saying something, was with a, uh, another person who uh, said, you know, the rule about no eating meat on Mondays, that's, it's like a Catholic thing, right? Um, that, right. That, that is an example of religious doctrine as early public health code. 
So for all of the like small government, government, like pro church folks out there, just keep in mind, you are following a set of codified ordinances in, in your religious doctrine to some extent. And that being a basis for things like public health code, uh, I guess it's, it's no surprise that, that, you know, our public health people, researchers, policymakers, public health officials are all sort of grasping at this, you know, I, I think it's very realistic to say unattainable level of purity that we're supposed to take forward through life if, I guess, we're lucky or if the policies or, or if there weren't evil in the world like tobacco companies. The, I'm getting to another point here, which was um, Carl Phillips has blogged about this before that, you know, when we compare this risky behavior of smoking to, you know, substance use or whatever or, or things uh, and how, you know, harm reduction plays a role. One of the things he compares it to is sex and that, you know, we know that the abstinence only approach does not work in in preventing uh, teenage pregnancies uh, or transmitting STDs and so on. So we have adopted a harm reduction approach there, making contraception available to people um, while it's still available. As I understand it, there is legislation introduced somewhere to outlaw contraception, which is a really dumb idea. Um, and then, you know, that idea that you're going to keep children pure into adulthood has also apparently failed in the tobacco control world. With all of this emphasis on preventing young people from quitting smoking, the analysis has to look at, are, is that sustained? Is that, is that actually carrying through as people become young adults? And a, a piece of research I had read earlier looked at and said, no, actually, it's, it's not working. People are just, when they get to whatever the legal purchase age is or legal sales age, that's when we are actually seeing a, uh, a significant portion of people uh, initiating tobacco use in their 20s as young adults. And so that this one particular study, and I'm sorry, I don't have it at my fingertips, um, you know, is is showing that that, you know, the policies aren't actually helping to deter people. They're just starting later in life. I don't exactly know where I was going with that, but uh, most of that is sort of focused on the abstinence only and 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 this this idea of maintaining someone's purity from from youth into adulthood. Right. I think I remember that study, and I think it was from the period before vaping. No, actually, if, if uh, the the data they were looking at, and I don't remember what it was taken from, but it was up until it was like two thousand two to two thousand eighteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. What I was thinking of was one that showed um, a large number of kids actually starting to smoke in college. Um, but I don't remember the details, so I won't try to talk about it. <laughs> I, I, but it's a fact that a significant number of um, adolescents start smoking or vaping, I guess, after adolescence. If I remember correctly, the um, age of initiation in China for smoking is actually much mm. later than the United States. I want right. to say it's like 18, 19. So it's kind of interesting how these, you know, you can almost use it as an example of like, okay, well, we're doing this here and they're just starting later and whatever they're doing, you know, elsewhere, they're still just starting later. So is this idea, like, you know, Alex was saying of trying to keep everybody pure, like it doesn't, it doesn't work regardless of really what you do, um, because, you know, that that's not how human humans work. You know, it, it seems like in China, um, uh, there's, you know, they're not as anti-cigarette as we are here, of course, um, but it seems to be uh, like a rite of passage into adulthood or something. I, I perhaps they. And isn't it like way, way more common with men or something? Oh, well? yeah. Sorry, sorry if somebody said that already, but. And that's that's the case a lot of places. Yeah, like especially in some of the Asian countries, I think it's like, it's it like you said, it's a rite of passage for the men. Exactly. But then look look down upon it for the women to do it. I mean, ultimately, it's it's kind of, <clears throat> you know, I think as, as some of you have it, just sort of invoking this idea of rite of passage. I mean, substance use for me was very much rite of passage. It was, you know, as a young person, I'm hanging out with the older older people and uh, we're using the same drugs and I'm, I'm being shepherded through this experience. Hopefully they know what they're doing. Um, but, you know, ultimately, the point being that 
that you know we as as just part of the human experience we like to put things into and sometimes take things out of our bodies and so there's no there really is no standard of purity when it comes to the human experience and i don't think any state legislature federal government or religious doctrine owns a definition of that correct and you know people have been attempting to to alter their uh their minds um since time immemorial it's just not something you can legislate sure i mean really the idea of you know prohibition against drugs is is a relatively new concept in in the history of humanity just because you know it wasn't until you know i don't know something like uh two or three thousand yeah, late 1800s, early 1900s was when we start, first started seeing the first anti-drug legislation. Well, I, no, I mean, and there's been anti-drug, um, you know, laws or prohibitions around the world for thousands of years. We've seen that same thing with tobacco as well. Um, this goes back in, you know, B.C. But when we look at the course of human history, really, um, people have been using drugs, like like Jim said, since since the dawn of man human beings have been altering their consciousness and some people actually there's some evidence to show um a lot of good has come from that particularly in the realm of um psychoactive substances and um and psychedelics in regards to the development of the human brain through through human history but but yeah and, I mean, and it's very in the way clear. that we the way that we criminalize drug use now is is really truly a relatively new thing yeah, it's very, very rare throughout history where, where you ever see a substance that was once popular get, get completely killed off unless there's a better alternative to that substance that has some of the same effects but just doesn't, you know, it is stronger, better, safer. I mean, there whatever. have definitely been drugs, um, you know, throughout time that we just human beings have kind of been like, no, that that's actually, you know, all of yeah, but like, but, but are like, for, far worse like, than did, any did you good. Listen, did you listen to Ethan's podcast with I have the, not. the one he did with? Uh, what's the guy's name that he did it with? Alan, Alan Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah. yeah, more, so, not, yeah. You know, like he, he sometimes a drug will go away. So he 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 brought up barbiturates and how he thought maybe barbiturates. You know, if we did legalize a bunch of drugs, maybe we wouldn't legalize barbiturates. And part of the reason is because they're they're not used much anymore because there are better drugs that are used for the same reason, which is benzos. Like as far as like you know a little bit safer, um, you know they work some work a little better for this for anxiety and why people use them, so on and so forth. So, but I mean, you're still finding substances to treat these 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 same you know uh, wants or urges that we all have. Uh, you, know, you know, whether it be you want a stimulant, you know, or you want a downer or something to help with anxiety or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The underlying reasons as to why human beings use drugs has really not changed. Society around them has changed. You know, the, the stresses of everyday life have, has changed. But, you know, the real underlying reasons as to why people use drugs were human. Yeah. You know, like that, that hasn't changed at all. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, barbiturates have 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 really essentially gone away. Uh, and you're right, benzos have have really taken the place there. It's not even human. Animals also. Um, animals do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, animals use drugs. And they don't go to prison for it. They're just not as good at it as we are. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, I don't know. There might be some really cool shit that they're hiding hey, from us. Look, they don't criminalize each other for it, Jim. So, so you know, some some trees have berries that survive into the winter, and they freeze on the tree, and they freeze and thaw and ferment. And you will occasionally see birds, like sometimes robins, but uh, cedar waxwings, other berry eating birds just attack those trees and some of the birds get loopy and fall down and sure. are they I getting drunk are the birds getting you. drunk they're, they're drunk on the berry yeah. i see that you've been taking the cdc's advice <laughs> yeah but i want <laughs> nicotine just as much when i'm <laughs> out, there, out there bird watching jim 
I've been doing that for 30 years. So Is that how you quit smoking? Nope. Didn't help at all. <laughs> <laughs> from from bodily autonomy to bird watching. That's what the title should have been. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I did share uh, that international guidelines to bodily autonomy and drug use um, or human rights and drug use rather in this thread for anybody who is curious to read through those. Um, and there are so many ways um, that our autonomy is violated in regards to drug policy. You know, one of the big things you know, we talked about, the rights to privacy, that's um, part of the Constitution as well. And that, that gets violated under drug policy. And, and I can think back to, um, you know, when I was in a uh, when I was mandated through court to go to, uh, you know, a rehab center and would have to pee in a cup. Um, and there was, there was no privacy in that bathroom while somebody stands there and watches you, you know, yeah. unzip and, and urinate into a cup for them. Um, you know, that, and that's just one small example of how, you know, our, our, our literal constitutional rights, um, are, are violated. So there is, there is a literal constitutional right to privacy. The right to privacy is something that was also manufactured out of the 14th amendment. No, the word privacy is nowhere in the Constitution. That's why the 14th is so important and it shouldn't be fucked right. with. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. It's, it is. It's very like there, the argument that, hey, you know, abortion's not in the 14th and it's vague and it's not even what the why the amendment was written. They're not wrong, but there's the, the, the it's such a vague amendment and the essence of it is so vast that like so many different freedoms have fallen under that. So, like, if we start making that argument, it is scary because you could literally make that argument with so many other things. Well, um, all the amendments following the first 10 were added later to uh, address shortcomings of the original Constitution. Yeah. So, I mean, everything everything in our day-to-day -day life um, <clears throat> is governed by a combination of the original Founding Fathers document and alterations we've made to it to fit life as it changes. And yeah, and that, and that's why just being an originalist when the when the Constitution is over you know two hundred years old, it's uh, it just yeah it, it do doesn't jive anymore. And and you can't even be a consistent originalist because they they're none of them are. Well, what what would being a true originalist mean? That you believe that black people are three fifths. Of I people? mean, a true originalist would mean that you're only allowed to have guns if you're in a militia. Right. <laughs> First off, I mean, if you really want to go brass tacks, like yeah, I mean, you'd have to you you would have to apply all that stuff, and there would be a lot of people with less rights than today. Correct. And the idea that the founding fathers could even comprehend. The, an understanding of what the internet is, it just makes me laugh. Oh, yeah. they knew about the internet. Oh, well, I mean, most, most, consti most Al Gore constitutions told have, most constitutions have a lifespan of like one to 200 years. They, do, they don't last very long because they do get outdated. But, you know, if you're going to keep the constitution you have, which we have a fairly robust one, when in comparison, you, you have to be prepared to, to read, read it, for the essence that it's giving off, right? Like you, you've got to just kind of be able to apply those, uh, those principles to modern day. Well, and that was the intention that it was, it was bare bones enough that you could add to it. It could expand or contract as necessary. And you could add, you know, even add new principles to it if you needed to. But the, the basics of the constitution that can't be violated are pretty simple stuff. It's not, um, you know what I mean? I mean, it, it, uh, I'm not even sure what I'm saying here. Well, the complexity comes with the interpretations, it's, right? It's and that easy, will... It's easy enough to expand it without violating the core principles of the Constitution. Yeah. As long as you care about that. It's a good constitution. Well, it's eight o'clock. I, I assume I should be wrapping this up. Um, 
are there any kind of burning final thoughts here before we do the outro stuff? Uh, no, but I did have a tweet that I saw last week amongst kind of all of this, um, you know, reproductive rights debates, uh, abortion rights debates. Um, I don't know exactly who this person is, uh, but we were we were talking earlier about kind of the the left and the right, and you know, um, either way, uh, Leela Cohen uh, tweeted. Um, it's kind of a it's a little bit of a thread. It's not very long, but I'm going to read through it because I think there's a lot to think about here, and I think the idea that you know. Uh, we have the the right who are are very for um, overturning Roe v. Wade and and the laws that they're trying to get enacted around abortion. Uh, and then, like Jim said, these people no longer caring about you know these babies once they're born. Uh, and that's kind of the thread of this tweet. I think it'll give people some some thought. Uh, she tweeted, "If it was about babies, we'd have excellent and free universal maternal care." You wouldn't be charged a cent to give birth, no matter how complicated your delivery was. If it was about babies, we'd have months and months of parental leave for everyone. If it was about babies, we'd have free lactation consultants, free diapers, free formula. If it was about babies, we'd have free and excellent child care from newborns on. If it was about babies, we'd have universal preschool and pre-K guaranteed after school placements. If it was about babies, IVF and adoption wouldn't just be for folks with thousands and thousands of dollars to spend on expanding their families. It's not about babies. It's about punishing women and all people with uteruses and controlling our bodies. And I think that's an excellent kind of summation. Like Jim said, you know, these, these, you know, whether it be about prohibition or about abortion rights or whatever the case may be, it's such a cause to rally a base around an ideology um, that then after that, that fact, after whatever that is, passes, whether it's somebody who moves on or somebody, uh, you know, after we've arrested the drug user, what then, um, all of those kind of things that goes to the wayside because those aren't the things that are going to, sorry, I have a motorcycle outside my window, uh, you know, rally the base, uh, get votes, things like that. But that's not the hot button topic. You know, what, what happens to these children after, you know, after they're born, after they're, you know brought into the world so yeah and i think you know consistent with what i mentioned earlier it's uh you know what things that we've been saying is that uh you know the parallels here for everything is once that child once if that child does come to become a child uh reaches a certain age it's no longer the focus and and it's uh sort of you're on your own kid but uh I think sure, and we don't illustrated see illustrated there. You know, before then, you're kind of on your own kid. Yeah, we don't see Matt Myers launching, you know, campaign for tobacco-free adults, campaign yeah. for tobacco-free yeah, the... senior citizens. You know, once once you reach the the I guess now the age of 21, um, after that, we no longer care about you. You're not useful to us. You're not useful to our agenda. You're not useful, you know, for raising money, things like that. So. Uh, well, it's hard to create a moral panic about adults. Sure, sure. I mean, we've been in an overdose crisis for years now, um, mainly with adults. Um, and you can see how slowly that's, uh, you know, gaining any real um, progression there as far as things being done. So, But it's all totally disingenuous because even the, you know, ban the ban the vape flavors for the kids doesn't prevent vaping doesn't prevent smoking doesn't prevent anything all it does is hurt the adults who really find use in these products sure absolutely absolutely yeah i think if there's one thing that i could leave people with it would be to you know when you when you're thinking about certain issues especially you know politically charged or religiously charged issues you know Consider bodily autonomy. Consider, you know, how you feel about the issue if it was reversed or if it was on a different topic instead of, you know, instead of vaping, what if it was vaccines? Instead of vaccines, what if it was drugs? Instead of drugs, what if it was, you know, sex work, for example? We didn't even get into that. There are so many ways um, that this, you know, idea plays out. And there's so many ways that, you know, individuals and government 
can infringe on people's freedoms. And if you really are, you know, or purport to be a defender of freedom, I would just challenge everybody because it's a good mental exercise to just always consider, you know, if the shoe were on the other foot, how would you feel about it? I think doing that makes us a better society. So that, that would be what I would leave people with. Very good. Yeah. And you want to talk about something that's been around since the dawn of man, dawn of humanity, sex work. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised we didn't bring that up. I totally forgot about it. That's like, we could talk about that for a whole nother hour. (laughs) Yeah. We could, but it is uh, it is already five after eight, so yeah, we've hit our quota. So, all right, we have hit our quota. Anyway, I, I, all, all good thoughts to end on, and um, I don't know. I hope this was uh, informative, perhaps challenging for for folks listening, uh, and and I think it's always instructive to see how um, you know our specific issue relates to others. Obviously, we've been doing a lot of that with uh, talking about the, the parallels and, and intersections with drug policy, um, but certainly other, um, you know, either morally motivated or 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 uh, public health motivated issues uh, that are not directly related to tobacco or drug use. Uh, certainly, a lot of connections there, and and, and some some instruction and in just thinking about it critically. So. Um, thank you to all of our board members who joined tonight again, Danielle, Matt, Jim, and Logan. Uh, thanks for, for the folks who stuck around and, and listened to this live. Phil, I see you. Um, and, and this person, Judy G. Hey, thanks for sticking around. And some others who filtered in and out throughout the hour. We very much appreciate it. Um, for those interested, you can catch this and other audio recordings that Kassad Gang does uh, on our SoundCloud uh, and also, uh, we usually post links to that on our Friday blog post, which you can uh, get by checking out our website at casaa.org. Follow us on the social medias at Casa Media. I think that's the, the the handle across all of the Facebook, Insta, Twitter. Um, we're not on the other things. Um, and uh, if you are around on Saturday afternoon, four thirty Eastern. Uh, we'll be having a conversation with Guy Bentley this weekend. Uh, and I think we'll probably be, probably be paying particular attention to the menthol and flavored cigar ban uh, that uh, FDA is working on. Also be on the lookout for Casas call to action to get engaged with the comment period on that. Hopefully we'll have that up in the next day or two. Um, and with that, thank you again, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll see you back here in two weeks. All right. Thanks. Good night.